Good morning. We are thankful that you are here this morning. It is good to see you all. It's good to be back for my family as we've been gone for a week or so. It seems like uh, we were commenting on the drive over that even though it's been just a week, it feels like it's been a long time, that it's been forever, and we're glad to see you. It's uh, a little odd maybe sometimes how fast fam- people become family and how fast that happens. It's been almost a year now. It's hard to believe. Hannah was mentioning uh, two weeks ago now that we were here that last Sunday, the holiday weekend, was the Sunday that I tried out. Uh, and that time is approached, and we'll be coming up on a year, and that's just hard to believe. But it reminds us of that because of how thankful we are to be with you this morning and how anxious we were to get back to you. Uh, we miss being here. We did have a good Sunday last Sunday with the South Florida Avenue Church of Christ down in Lakeland, Florida, where the School of Preaching is. Bill has been there before to speak on their lectureship and things. Good folks down there, but we missed being here. I was able to listen to Heath's lesson uh, from last Sunday morning and appreciate his encouragement. I chose Heath's because it was shorter than Brian's. I'll just tell you that, all right? So Brian's was not that long, but Heath's was a little shorter. So I checked the times, listened to Heath's. I'm going to catch up on Brian's, but we hope that you had a good Sunday and we miss being here. If you're visiting with us, we're thankful that you're here. As Jerry has said, we got a lot of things going on, especially in the month of June. And we're excited about that. We hope that you'll be keeping in mind our Vacation Bible School. that will begin in just a couple of weeks. We'll have announcements coming up. There are flyers on the table in the foyer that you'll, you can pick up or pass around. We've tried to get it on Facebook there. If you're there, you can share it and have, try to get the information out to anybody that may, might be willing to come by and visit with us during that time. And we're looking forward to that, among the many other things that we have going on. This morning we're going to begin with a very just uh, very profound statement as we think about beginning our lesson this morning and the title that you may see on the bulletin there in front of you, the world can be a cruel place. All right, and you may say, thank you, Captain Obvious. That seems pretty simple there to understand that the world can be a very cruel place. Perhaps you remember the song. It actually began as an African-American spiritual song. Maybe you've heard it from other singers through the years, but nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And sometimes we all feel that way. We feel like that, that the world is, can just be a, a pretty rough place to live in sometimes. And what's interesting is the world knows that. And the world acts that way. The world treats life that way sometimes. But it's a biblical concept as well. The Bible sort of speaks of the same concept. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in verses 12 through 16, the first few verses here may be on the screen, but you can also turn there if you would like to. But Peter begins by saying, Beloved, I think, not, think it not strange. What he's saying here is, guess what? It's common. It happens to everybody. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. It's common, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody, excuse me, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf, on this behalf. Peter's saying it's common. It's going to happen. It's not strange that we would suffer. 
In fact, most of the time, God's faithful were on the receiving end of difficulties. And in fact, it wasn't something that they did, but something that people were doing to them. We know that sometimes we suffer in this life because of our own choices. But yet Peter here is saying that it can happen and it will happen to you. And it should not be counted as strange. As well in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom, whom he may devour. We know that passage, we've talked about it before, but notice in verse 9, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, that is our adversary, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in the world. Others are faithfully doing it. Others are faithfully living through the struggles. We can do it too. Perhaps you remember the words of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 10 through 12. As he is writing this letter to the young preacher Timothy, he is telling Timothy, you know, you know. He begins in verse 10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Verse 11, persecutions. Paul's saying to Timothy, you know the suffering that I've gone through. You know that this world can be a cruel place. And not only does he say that to Timothy, but if you notice in verse number 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The world can be a cruel place. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. It's going to happen to us. And then again, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold, that is, many temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying here that it's desirable. Not only will you suffer, but it should be desirable to you to suffer. Why? Why should we want those opportunities to suffer and struggle? Because it is beneficial to us. It gives us an opportunity to show, to prove that our faith is genuine. Just like metal, just like gold that is tried by the fire, our faith is proven to be genuine when we go through the struggles. When we go through the struggles, then we can be found faithful. The world is a cruel place sometimes. The world understands that. The biblical writers, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, and through their own experience, understood that. And even in the year 2019, we still understand that we face many different trials. You see, sometimes people treat life and people really treat God like an umbrella. You say, well, we're going to face stress and we're going to face anxiety and rejection. We're going to face pains and burdens and suffering. But the false idea that many people get sometimes is that God acts like an umbrella. That when we face struggles, when we face difficulties, if we are true Christians, then God will protect us like an umbrella. Now, I don't know where you buy one of those umbrellas, but many of us would like to get one. The other phrase that people sometimes would use is, is a hedge of protection. That if we're really faithful into God, that when we have these things come our way, we won't have to worry about it because God will protect us. The problem with that is it's not real. 
It's not biblical. It is an inaccurate concept. Because you may recall the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 and verse number 45 as he is speaking there at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. He says, for he, that's God, makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And the part that we know, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, you don't look at a person's struggles You don't look at a person's sorrows. We don't go around the room and list all of our things and say that a person's struggles or sorrows are determined on their faithfulness. We would not say, well, you've only faced five things this year. You face ten, so you must be more faithful than this other person over here. That's not the way that the Bible treats this particular subject or this thought process or this idea. You do not determine a person's faithfulness by their sorrows or their struggles. Because as we've already seen from Peter and Paul, we're going to face them. Not only that, but God is not going to protect us or shield us from it so that nothing can harm us, so that nothing can hurt us. What would be a better concept? Well, you know if you already have your bulletin in front of you this morning, a more accurate concept might be the idea of an anchor. Now, I'm not that familiar with anchors. I've been on a few boats in my life, but but not a lot. Some of you may have. You may be more familiar with the idea because you you fish or things in this part of the world. But but we understand what an anchor is. An anchor does at least two things. Number one, it provides stability. And number two, it provides a connection to something that is solid. An anchor provides stability. It provides us a connection to something that is solid. You see, we, we are like ships. We are like boats, and we are tossed to and fro. We do wander sometimes on the water if we're not careful, and we need an anchor, an anchor to ground us, to provide stability. So rather than the idea of an umbrella that we can hold up and God will shield us or protect us from anything, maybe maybe the more biblical idea is the thought that God provides anchors for us. And this morning we're going to look at four. Number one, the Word of God. The Word of God. Maybe you've never considered the Word of God before as an anchor, but we're going to look at these anchors that God provides to us to help us navigate the difficulties of life in a more successful way. The Word of God. You may recall the words of Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, In righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Why do we have scripture? Why do we have the word of God? That the man of God may be, depending on the version that you're looking at, perfect. I like the New King James. The New King James says, complete. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped or thoroughly furnished unto every good work. What else can do what God's word can do? God's word provides us the stability. It provides us what we need in order to be grounded through the different things that we face in this life. You've heard me say it many times before already, and I'll continue to say it, that I firmly believe that the Bible gives us all that we need. We think about the words of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3, that God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And what you've heard me say time and time again is, is that the Bible doesn't tell us how to balance our budget. It, it maybe not tell us exactly how to fix a car. 
It, it may not tell us how to fix cancer. It may not tell us all of these very detailed things, but it does give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You might even say, well, the Bible doesn't tell me what to wear every day. It doesn't necessarily. But a few weeks ago, we spent a lesson talking about modesty and the fact that God has spoken to the clothes that we wear and why it matters. If he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, then we have all that we need contained in the word of God. I'm going to challenge you at the end of this lesson, but I'll try to maybe slide in here at the end of each point. But I challenge you. I challenge you the next time you're going through difficulty, whether it's financial or relationships or with school or with work or with your spouse or whatever it may be, I challenge you, go back to the word of God. Go back to the word of God and see what it says about a husband or a wife, about a coworker, about a Christian friend, about our finances, about our children. I challenge you to go to the word of God. And you might find that it does give you some piece of information that will help you with whatever situation it is. The Word of God is an anchor that provides stability for us. Number two this morning, prayer. We know 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. That's a very simple verse that we can kind of memorize pretty easy and toss it out there. Pray without ceasing. What does it mean though? What is Paul trying to tell those in Thessalonica? That we would live a life every day of prayer. That we would be grounded. That we would be stabilized by prayer. When you face troubles, do you turn to prayer? Do you turn to God? I think as well of Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 through 7 there where Paul writing to those in Philippi says, Be anxious for nothing. How do you do that? How are you anxious for nothing? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When we pray to God, notice what verse number 7 says the result of prayer is. Verse 7 says the result of prayer is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we pray... And we are grounded in prayer, we can have the peace of God. Prayer should not just be an emergency line. It can be. We should turn to God in times of, of struggles and an emergency, but it shouldn't just be an emergency line. Prayer is a help, prayer is a friend, prayer is someone to talk to. And when we turn to God in prayer, we know that we have someone who is faithful to hear us. Sometimes we struggle with our prayer life. It's hard sometimes to stop and take the time to pray. But it's an anchor. Again, I challenge you. Is it your relationship with your spouse, with your children, grandchildren, with a coworker, with a friend? Is it other things that you're struggling with? Turn to prayer. You'd be surprised sometimes when you drop that anchor how it will stabilize you. I know that God doesn't exactly grant prayer answers to prayer always immediately like a genie. We sometimes wish that's the way that prayer worked. We would pray to God, he'd appear like a genie, and whatever we want would be done. It doesn't work that way, but prayer can stabilize us. It can give us comfort and peace through the struggles of life. I challenge you, turn to prayer the next time you face something and see if maybe you don't feel some sense of the peace of God. You see, Paul writes these words to those in Philippi, not just on a whim, not just kind of on a chance, just a roll of the dice. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And the peace of God can rule in your life. 
Number three this morning, the church. Who do we turn to when we go through the struggles of life? Where, where is it that we turn to? Who is it that we turn to? And the, the answer is, the answer varies. Some of you, it is your spouse. Some of you, it may be your mom or your dad. Some of it is, uh, some of you, it's a close friend. But who do we turn to? None of those answers are necessarily wrong. But when we face the struggles of life, who do we turn to? Because the, the, the other thing to consider is, who understands better the struggles of a Christian than other Christians? Now, maybe your spouse or your parents or, or whoever it is that you usually turn to is a Christian. But if you're a Christian living this life and you're struggling, who better to turn to than other Christians? If you're a Christian parent and you're struggling with your children, disciplining your children, teaching them the right thing, who better to turn to than Christian parents? If you're a Christian wife or a Christian husband, who better to turn to than other Christian spouses to help you through the troubles and the difficulties of life. Sometimes we discount, discount those in the church. Oftentimes we don't want people to know the struggles we face. I'm not going to let anybody know that there's a problem in my marriage. I, I understand. I understand the difficulty sometimes of opening up. But who better to understand than our brothers and sisters in Christ? We think about John 13 verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Are we truly exhibiting that among each other? Among Christians? Do we turn to each other and love one another? Sometimes. Other times we don't do so well with that. If you're following along, turn to the book of 1 John. We're going to look at several passages here very quickly from 1 John. First of all, 1 John 2, 9 through 11. John says in 1 John 2, 9 through 11 that there's a problem among our behavior and our words sometimes. Among what we say and what we actually do. He says, he who says he is in the light, says he is in the light, but hates with his action, shows that he hates his brother, is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If we do not show love for one another, our words do not connect with our actions, then we have a problem. We are, John's going to say, a liar. Look at 1 John 3 and verses 15 through 18. He says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We have a problem when we do not turn to each other in the church as an anchor in troublesome times. When the world gets us down, when the world is a cruel place, when the winds blow and the storm rises, do we turn to the church? Sometimes. Other times we struggle with that. 1 John 4, 19 through 21 is some of the same idea here. John's continuing with this concept, and it is in verse number 20 that he says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. If we have love, we do not show it with our actions, or if we say we have love, we do not show it with our actions, we're a liar. A liar. Because we're saying one thing and doing another. We need to have love 
for one another. The church should be the place that we can turn to. You know, there's a lot of talk in the world today about safe places and, and people who get upset about things in the world. And, and I'm not here to discuss all that in this moment, but, but the church should be a safe place for us. I've said it many times before in regards to our invitation, but, but we offer the first row, the first pew, we offer to stand and sing and come forward, not to identify people or to point out or to laugh. There's nothing magical about the carpet or, or the pew or anything up here on the first row. What's magical, and not really magical, what's biblical is that we take time to pray for one another. That someone comes forward and says, I am struggling. Because more than likely there's someone else sitting behind you if you choose to come to the front row that says, I'm going through the same thing. The church should be a safe place. And maybe better than saying it's a safe place, the church should be an anchor. An anchor in our life. Who else could we turn to? Who else should we turn to? The bonds are strong. We sing the words of common love. We sing about the love we have for one another. Who are the people that you turn to? It's fine if it's your family members sometimes. It's fine if it's other people that you know very well. But it should be our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, God designed it that way. God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that it was supposed to be this way. When you ask the question, sometimes people say, do I have to place membership at a church? Do I have to place membership with a congregation? Well, the answer may be biblically, the Bible doesn't say, well, yes, a person must go to the elders and identify and write their name down and be on the roll and all these things. The Bible may not say that exactly, but the concept of the church, the concept of relying upon one another, of being accountable, of finding an anchor, of encouraging one another, that's, that's biblical. And that's what you get when you're a part of a congregation, a group of people that love one another. When we face storms, we need the church as an anchor. And then fourth and finally this morning, the hope of eternal life. Try turning to the Word of God. Try turning to prayer. Try turning to the church, your brothers and sisters. But consider as well the hope of eternal life. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 10, we read about a man that we know well. Actually, all the verses in context around here speak of him. How could someone just up and leave? How could someone just be told to pack up and move, not knowing where they are going, and just follow and just obey? Most of us would say, wait a minute, I need some instructions. I need some direction. I need to know where we're going. You can't just leave me on some wild goose chase. I, I don't know. Abraham was willing to go and follow. Why? Well, because of faith. That's why it's here in Hebrews chapter 11, because of the faith that he had. What motivated Abraham? What motivated Abraham to offer up his only son? Or at least go almost to the point. We picture, of course, in our mind, as the Bible says, that his hand is raised. Almost ready to start the muscle action of moving downward to slay his son on the altar. Why would he do that? Well, Hebrews 11:10 tells us, For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What motivated Abraham? It's faith. But in conjunction with faith, it was the hope of eternal life. He knew that the God who had led him and was leading him, the God who would say, kill this son of promise, would guide him. But he knew as well that there was a hope of eternal life. 
The Hebrew writer tells us here that Abraham acted, he was motivated, he had an anchor knowing that there was eternal life. We think as well about Paul again, Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 16, that he writes some of these encouraging words about the hope. Paul says it a lot of times, including here to the Philippians, about the goal. We understand that because we have goals in our life. We have things that we're trying to connect with that we want to reach. But Paul here talks about the goal. Pressing toward the goal in verse number 14. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He speaks about that hope of eternal life. That everything we do, everything we face, if we keep heaven in mind, everything we will count as rubbish. Everything will be worth it all. If we do not lose sight of heaven. Think about again the words of Peter. We already talked about 2 Peter 1 and verse number 3 there. About how all things that pertain to life and godliness. But if you're following along, go back there. Because he says, continuing on, Peter says, By which have been given to us, what? Exceedingly great and precious promises. What are those great and precious promises? Well, one of those is the hope of eternal life. The hope of heaven. That things in life do not bother me because I have an anchor knowing that eternal life is waiting for me. Some people say, well, why aren't you bothered? You know, why aren't you getting upset about that? Why aren't you worried about that? I don't get too upset. Maybe you don't get too upset sometimes when we recognize that we have an anchor in the hope of eternal life. And that's the hope, not like I hope we have ice cream for dessert or I hope that it rains or I hope that it snows when it comes wintertime. Not that kind of hope, but the hope of eternal life, the hope of the Bible. Paul again to, uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse, verse number 12 speaks of this idea of laying hold of eternal life. That's what we should be striving for. That's what should be giving us hope. Maybe you face a sickness Maybe you faced a struggle in life like that. Not that you're not going to suffer. Not that it's an umbrella or a hedge of protection that you will not suffer at all. But maybe you faced one of those things. You said, you know what? It doesn't really matter because I know where I will be in eternity. I have that hope of eternal life. I have the hope of a home in heaven. It kind of changes your perspective sometimes. It's interesting how our perspectives change throughout our lives. These anchors, the word of God, prayer, the church, hope of eternal life, they give us stability. They give us a connection to something else outside of ourselves that is grounded. They give us a connection to God. I can't tell you that you're not going to face anything. I can't tell you how many things you're going to face. Maybe you know people who have lost a loved one, then lost their job, and, and maybe had an accident, and maybe got a, a bad diagnosis, and they face so many things in life. It doesn't determine their faithfulness, just as it wouldn't, wouldn't yours. But who do we turn to? Because when we turn to these anchors, when it gives us that stability, then we'll find that we can successfully navigate the storms of life, the troubles and difficulties, this cruel, cruel world. Life won't be perfect. But God has given us a surefire way to handle these difficulties. And it's in at least these four anchors that we've talked about this morning. Life won't be perfect, but again, as we conclude this lesson this morning, I dare you. I dare you. I challenge you 
Think about it this week. Take the bulletin home, whatever. Write down, take your notes. I challenge you this week. When something comes up that causes you trouble, that gives you difficulty and makes you think that, that life is hard and the world's a cruel place, I challenge you to choose one of these four anchors or several and turn to them. Turn to the Word of God. Pick up your Bible. Pray. Stop and pray to God. Call a brother or sister. Call someone from here and say, hey, listen to what I've gone through. Hey, I'm struggling with this. I challenge you to try it and see if it doesn't help you somewhat, at least a little bit, with the difficulties of this life. Turn to one of these four ways and you might see that God knew what he was doing when he provided these things for us. Think about heaven. Think about your family. And maybe you can navigate these waters, these difficulties, a little easier. You see, the problem with that for some people maybe here this morning begins because you're not a child of God. When you think about God's simple plan of salvation, you've never been what we sometimes call gospel obedient. That is that you obey the gospel of Christ, which is his death, burial, and resurrection. We partake in that. We go through that when we, are, when we die to selves, we are buried in water, and we rise again to walk in newness of life. It's then, once you are baptized, immersed into water, for the remission of your sins that the Lord will add you to his church. And you, be, you can begin to reap the benefits of having this family. Maybe you're outside of the body of Christ and you don't have those spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. We'll be singing in a moment to encourage you, to ask you to consider becoming a Christian even this day. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been wayward. You've, as we oftentimes say, wandered away. You know what it feels like to become a Christian and be added to the church, but, but you kind of lost that. You pulled up your anchors... And as a boat or as a ship, you begin wandering out on the water. And the storms come and you find yourself further and further away from God. You can repent of your sins, pray for forgiveness, and God is willing to do just that, that you can again walk in the light as he is in the light. An anchor in troubled times. God has provided it for us if we will be willing to accept it and find that stability in him. Maybe you need to become a Christian Maybe you need to come back to him. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.